Many times we have talked about the importance of owning a home. And imagine you are just about to buy the house of your dreams and in a split second you don't have it because the bid is overpriced. In this episode, Mike Riley, Mike Ferrante, and his assistant Will talk about list price market value and discuss making an offer for a FHA home and the problems associated with it. We talk about this and much more on the Cleveland Real Estate Investor Podcast. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Riley, and we have a special emergency podcast because there's a blizzard outside. And it's coming down about 12 inches of snow. So I got nothing better to do than do podcasts. And with me is once again, my, my coffeeed up partner in real estate, Mike Ferrante. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, great to be here, Mike. And he's got his sidekick from North Carolina, not from Mayberry, but from North Carolina, William Hall. Will, how you doing? Hi, how are you? Okay. All right, Mike. Well, as you know, your assistant put a bid in for a uh, FHA home that was in foreclosure. Asking price, 105. We put a bid in at 120. That's 15,000 over asking. And we got rejected. So give me some comments. I'm crying. Yeah, so, I'm miserable. Well, <laughs> I didn't get the house of my dreams. Go ahead. Right. Right. Well, first of all, investors should know ahead of time the price they're willing to pay. And when you're in multiple offers, just go in with your best offer. And if you don't get it, then you walk away with a smile on your face because you know that, you know, someone else either overpaid, but you know that you didn't get caught up in the moment. I was just having a conversation with uh, some clients and they were talking about the old days with the sheriff sales. And I always used to be amazed at how when the bidding was going uh, in in person, and now it's more like an eBay thing. But still, you have people, you know, they're thinking about it the day of the auction in the moment. Well, oh, I just got outbid. Well, should I go a little higher? You got to have your numbers ahead of time. Know what is your top limit? You bid to that, and then you walk away. Um, so, going back to your comment, Mike, about getting outbid. Yeah, welcome to today's market. It's not uncommon that we're getting outbid, that we're submitting many, many offers before getting an offer accepted. Will, who works quite a bit with buyers, is experiencing this firsthand. My comment to you earlier, Mike, was, hey, back in the day when it was a little less competitive, 2008 to 2012, my ratio was for every three offers I submitted, I got one accepted. Now it's probably more like one to ten. Yeah, yeah. Um well, you know, we knew uh, we knew what the house needed because we did a tour. And the irony of it is, for those people who have been listening to our podcast, you go on our website, RileyProperties.com, and look at the two houses that are called Forest Hill Beauty 1, Forest Hill Beauty 2. The house that we were looking at was literally across the street from what we call Forest Hill 2. And it was one house from Forest Hill One. So that would have been, you know, talk about getting monopoly in that little area. That house has been a disaster for years. Maybe and three in a row, you could put up a hotel. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, but we went in there and we knew that the house was gonna need at least fifty, sixty thousand dollars to, you know, needed a new driveway. 
Uh, Will, you went in to the house. What was your uh, what was your take on the inside? Yeah, Mike. From what I could tell, there was quite a bit of work. It'd been abandoned for a while. A lot of stuff hadn't been maintained. Looked like since maybe the original owners, very outdated. So a lot of things were going to have to be updated. Yeah, as Will said, we knew we've got 50,000, 60,000 in on this house. The outside needed to be cleaned up, the landscaping, the driveway, the whole inside, new kitchen, the whole nine yards. So that means if we were at 120, which was 15,000 over asking, we were at 120. When we're done, the house should be worth 180, right? Well, I don't know if we could get 180 on a sale for that house. Maybe, maybe not. So we knew the numbers going in, not crying about it. It is what it is. Uh, I was just amazed that it was uh, that far over asking and we still got rejected. Do these FHA people just set it too low or what? Well, and that's your comments prompted what we started talking about. And you said, you know, hey, this is gold. Let's record this. You know, we're looking at a couple different types of properties. The FHA ones turn into HUD houses. Uh, the one that you were looking at was actually a Fannie Mae, which goes through the HomePath website. Um, so, you know, they're all bank owned, essentially, uh, and pretty much the same process. But as we were talking about these days, you have to almost expect to pay over list price. But then that opened this conversation about market value, list price. And Mike, I know there's certain podcasts where you get the juices flowing and you get animated. This is one of my pet peeves, Mike, uh, you know, talking about list price, market value, and the way that investors, wholesalers, how these guys define it. So anyway, these days, you got to be prepared to go over list price. And if you don't, it has to be because you've really done your homework and realized that list price is above market value. There's different definitions for these things. So to your question is, you know, did they just price it too low? Well, it depends. Maybe they priced it perfectly because they were eliciting multiple offers and they got a bidding war going and they got a really good number for it. So the whole list price thing is that's the number. That's a marketing number. It has nothing to do with market value. So when you look at a list price, that's the number that somebody picked to say, how are we going to sell this property, create some competition, some urgency, and get a good price for it, which of course the price that someone pays, that's market value. So right, the thing that exactly. drives me crazy, Mike, is when these uh, investors will call me up and say, hey, I, I only buy things below market value. Well, you know, not that I'm here to be the grammar police, but I'm sorry, market value is what you paid. So I, I understand what those guys mean. They want to get deals is essentially what they mean. Okay. But, all right. All right. Okay. No. This, this, this takes me back. Let me, let this get my juices flowing now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of when I first started out in the uh, contracting business, or I should say the painting houses business when I was in college back in the mid seventies. So I just dated myself. Boy, the first couple of years, I was getting jerked around left and right by some of these uh, landlords who kept saying, well, if you give me a good price, I'm going to give you a lot of work, which they never did. I think I alluded to this in an earlier podcast. And Will, you can perk your ears up on this one. And Mike, we've talked about this. You know, now if I get an investor or customer saying to me, um, who's pushing me around on price, I got two words for them, get lost, okay? 
I mean, look at, I'm not trying to rip anybody off. The, my price is my price. If they're going to, if they're going to hire you guys, you know, to look for deals, you know, get off my back and let me do my job. Okay. And I think a lot of times with, the, in, you know, with some of these investors who come in, they want, you know, they want you to, uh, to, to work 20 hours to find them gold. And if you don't, they'll, they'll drop you like a hot potato. It's like, who, who wants to work for people like that? Your comments, Mike? Yeah. When you, when you said you had two words for them, I thought the two words might be two different words. No, this is a family <laughs> oriented podcast, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing that we talk about as real estate agents too. There there's price and value. You know, they, people want to talk to us. Well, why are you charging so much commission? You know, I get, someone else is going to charge me less commission. Well, really what you're telling me is that you're concerned about how much money you get in the end. You want value. So it's not always related to price. If everything was just price, we would all be driving around in Hyundais. You know, they wouldn't, we wouldn't be driving around in Audis like uh, certain uh, contractors I know. Or <laughs> Yeah, but I have, I have on my A6 portable ladder rack. So just, uh, just to sell you on yeah. my A6. So, but anyway, you know, you, you paid more than a Hyundai for that, but you bought it because it has value to, to you. You didn't go in there and say, well, I can get a Hyundai for $10,000 less. It, it's the same thing. And that's the whole well, concept. Right. And that, price. you know what, and the ability to say, Hey, back off, get off my back right away for the investor who's calling you up you're demonstrating your value. You're not going to get pushed around. Okay. It's, uh, it's why they're coming to you because you can put together the angles of these deals that other realtors can't, or you're supposed to. And if you can't, then you're not worth it to them. You know, if you're going to say, Hey, get lost to somebody. Yeah, they, they will get lost because they there's, there's no perception of value uh, that you're giving them if you're a pushover. You've got to be able to, like I talked to somebody yesterday, really nice lady in California, and she bought this, of course, you know, again, she bought the house and now she's looking for property managers. You know, it's a duplex in, you know, it's on the edge of Lakewood and Cleveland. It's a duplex. And she paid over 200000 for it. But I'm thinking to myself, are you going to do this long-term rent? Because there's no, there's no short-term in the, in the area. I mean, she could dominate the short-term space with that house. And of course, I threw a monkey in her wrench because the property managers that she had identified as ones that she, that she wanted to hire, they, you know, they can't take her business because they've got too many clients. So now she's stuck. So I'm telling her things that she hasn't is not hearing from property managers, which is consider going short term. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about Airbnb, which is the extreme of short term. There is a kind of middle ground with short term, which is um, that you can rent it out for six months, not a year, because there's people are looking to rent, you know, for six months and they'll pay more in a premium. But. Listen, again, I'm providing them with a little taste test of the kind of value that we can provide, you know, as consultants or as their investment strategists. But we're, again, as we always do, Mike, we're getting off, off the road here. 
let's go back to this deal, this, this FHA home path, you know, deal that, that we lost. We figured that whoever's paying this, you know, over 120, what we need to put in, I don't know. That's, that's a little too, too rich for my blood, but let's talk about the chances of the deal falling through. What's your experience? Yeah. So we talked about that. I think any investors listening, you know, I know the general consensus is always, well, if I don't get it, I just pull my offer off the table. I'm here to tell you that's a big mistake. You know, Will and uh, I talk about this along with our other teammates. Look, it's a competitive market. How do you win in multiple offers? And if you don't win, what are the correct next steps? And what we've talked about is leaving that offer on the table because should that deal fall through, which, you know, is it a 90% chance it's going to fall through? No, but 10%. 20%, it just kind of depends. You know, hopefully if the sellers and their agent are smart, they chose an offer that has a good chance of going through. But here's what happens. When and if it falls through, the seller looks at the cards on the table and says, well, darn, what do I do? And they have a couple of choices. They can either put the property back to market and go through this whole uh, dog and pony show again, probably getting multiple offers and having to sift through everything again, or if someone was smart and left their offer in play, the seller has the option of going back and just saying, look, hey, is your offer still good? You were second or third place, but we, you know, you were close. We'll just sign up with you. And it avoids that whole second round of multiple offers. Exactly. And we're an all cash fast close offer, which I'm yeah. sure other people are. Will, so where is our offer? Still on the table? Yeah, Mike, can you hear me fairly well? Yeah, go ahead. Cool. Um, yeah, so our offers... Uh, it's not out there anymore officially, but we're watching the the previous offer on a continuous basis just to see if anything happens with it to get an update. From what okay, I've been told, we weren't even next in line, so that even makes it a little bit worse for us. Was <laughs> hopefully, but we'll still have to go through that entire process of putting a new offer, regardless. From what all right, okay, now let's let's uh, let's go let's go to your boss here. Okay, so Mike Ferrante. We want our, even if we're third or fourth in line, we may be the only one who's all cash, right? Could be, could be. But, you know, right now th there are lots of cash players. There are investors here, as you know, as we know from all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people listening to your podcast, Mike, uh, you know, we know the, <laughs> we're not, right? we're not at a hundred thousand, but thank you for Close. you know blow, blowing some smoke here. Uh, all approaching, right. approaching, but yeah, so certainly there's, certain things you can do to to compete better and you your cash limit your inspections I, I always say never waive your inspections but there's all kinds of different things you can do to uh, compete in multiple offers and certainly if you have cash hey guys re refi it out later if you need that money back you know that's the burr uh, method of investing that i know will knows all, all about too where they invest their cash rehab it rent it and then refinance money back out of it so you can repeat the process. Uh, but certainly when sellers are looking at offers, cash, few or no inspections, uh, flexibility on timing, there's all these factors that go into winning against other buyers. Okay. So who do you think beat us? Is this a flipper? Uh, God forbid it's a wholesaler. Could it be a wholesaler on, the, on this kind of uh, uh, player? And Mike, for listeners out there, tell them again what a wholesaler is. 
So the typical definition for a wholesaler is someone who gets a property under contract with the intention of assigning that contract to someone else who will buy it as the end user at a profit. So they're not actually buying houses typically, although in Ohio, technically to be legal, if you're wholesaling guys, if you're listening, you're supposed to at least have the intent and capacity to buy, buy the home. If you're doing it the wrong way, there's some pretty hefty fines in the state of Ohio if you get caught. Okay. All right. So the person who bought that, your guess is they're going to fix it up and flip it? What most of these people do, they come in on these FHA, you know, loaded with cash, overbidding. They figure I'll fix it up and sell it and I'll make a profit. I'm not sure. Will, did you have any inkling? Like, could this have been an owner-occupant who bought this house? So, yeah, I, I do have a little information I was, was told not to go too far into depth, but to be loyal here, uh, especially on our podcast. For my, uh, it's a, actually a lender that purchased the property and was way above uh, our- A office. lender? Yeah. Oh, lender. no. Don't tell me. Another lender? Go ahead, Mike. Elaborate for our audience. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure where that's going. I, I haven't. I mean, unless the lender had- uh, a lien on the property and was worried that they weren't going to be made whole uh, through the purchase. Kind of like when houses go to sheriff sale, you know, lenders or lien holders can be at the sheriff sale uh, protecting their interests in the property. So who knows? It could have been a scenario like that. Okay. All right. Now let's just say it's a lender. Now, now, once again, Mike Riley's juices is, is, is going <laughs> up. Okay. My Apple watch is screaming at me because my blood pressure is boiling. Okay. Now, let's take a look at this house in Forest Hill, my neighborhood. We put an offer, 15000 over. It's been an eyesore for 10 years, at least, because it's across the street from an eyesore that we bought and fixed up. And it's two doors down from, you know, an estate sale that was, you know, just tired and needed fixing up. So we fixed up these two properties, Okay. Now, here's a lender. Let's say the lender came in and said, all right, well, I'm trumping everybody. I'm just taking this back off the market because I'm going to hope to get more money on this property. Right, Mike? That's that's what happens. They think they can do something or okay. nothing. Sometimes just clean it out and sell it for more. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're seeing the, they're seeing the action on this and they're saying, all right, wait a minute. I'm going to I'm going to trump everybody. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an offer to buy it myself, even though I o- already own it, right? <laughs> right, Mike? Is that uh, well, dumb me, layman me? Go ahead. Hey, let's stop here. We got to pay some bills. Thirty seconds, and we'll be back. If you've been listening to this podcast then you understand or should understand the pitfalls of investing in Cleveland real estate. Say you're looking for an investment property to rent, and these are the things that could happen and often do. You overpay for a house, and it's in the ghetto. Then you find that it's a money pit with endless surprise repairs. Your hapless property manager, who may be the brother-in-law of the realtor, gets a tenant who after three months stops paying the rent. Then the toilet explodes and you have nobody to repair it because, guess what? The property manager is not answering the phone. Yep, that's the ugly side of the Cleveland real estate market. But we have a solution. Buy one of our properties. It's been inspected. It's been vetted. It's in a rock-solid part of town. It comes with a gold star tenant. 
paying top dollar rent, and we manage it. Call us at 216-371-8160 if you're interested. Uh, yeah, with it, it depends whether it's HUD, Fannie, Sheriff Sale. In this case, the bank doesn't actually own it. it because it was a Fannie Mae property, meaning Fannie Mae bought the loan, yeah, I don't know why the bank would buy it, but Fannie Mae owns it, not the bank. So if, if a bank bought it, there may be some circumstance where they feel they can do better than whatever the insurance is going to okay. pay them. All right. Now, here's, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. This is the payoff, everybody. That house has been an eyesore for 10 years in Forest Hill, in my neighborhood. That and about 25 other houses out of the 1,000, maybe 50 houses like that. They're just tired. Uh, maybe it's some senior citizen there who's just that doesn't get around to to fixing it up. But there are there are houses scattered around Forest Hill that are like that. Okay, if you have a competent homeowners association, which is what I made m- mistake trying to reform, or Cleveland Heights is just sitting there doing nothing on on these type of houses, the bank can play these games. People can buy it. We, we've had LLCs come in, buy these properties and do nothing for a year, year and a half. We heard, oh, somebody bought this. They started work, then they stopped. There must be, yeah, Will, you saw those houses. I, I took you around, right? I showed you 12 houses at least, yeah. right? Yeah, I went around and made a list on my own too, about another 15 houses after that. Yeah, and there's a bunch of LLCs. They buy this property. They sit on them because they're so incompetent. You know, they're playing real estate mogul and uh, they're telling their girlfriend or wives or family, yeah, I'm getting into real estate. I bought this house. I'm going to fix it up. And of course, they buy the house. They don't fix it up because they don't know how to fix it up and they ran out of money. So they walk away and it sits there for a year like this house or and the other houses down down the street. If you have the city and or a homeowners association who's taken a blowtorch to these mortgage holders, right? They can't play that game because they're getting fined every day. They don't get this house fixed up, right? And that'll take away the enabling that goes on with these real estate games. Your comments, Mike? I, we've talked about this for years, Mike. Someone's got to get their get their bare their teeth and make it happen. Uh, I, I'm with you 100. percent You know, and, the, and yeah. the problem for a long time was that there was too many of them. Now I think it's manageable. There's really no excuse. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, I've been talking to my guy Tony Kuda, who eventually will be on this podcast, and a couple other people I know on council, and I've been talking to Tony. Uh, the other day, because he's on the housing thing. And uh, I am hoping and praying that Tony and other people who want to turn this city around are not going to get sidetracked with all the bureaucracy involved and wake up a year later and these houses are still sitting there. So I've seen this play out. I saw it play out with the Homeowners Association, where government, nonprofits, whatever it takes them centuries decades to get anything done they excel at having meetings forming committees 
uh, studying this, studying that. But what they lack is the ability to pull the trigger and do anything. So this house is, you know, touches on a lot of stories. You know, are we bid? Is really the, the, the here's, here's the real odd part about all this conversation that we're having. The marketplace is inefficient. If it can't move these um, houses down the conveyor belt so they eventually get fixed up and sold, right? If they're getting bought at auction or bought in these kind of deals with, uh, you know, we lost because we were 15,000 over and we were ready to jump on this house right away and within two months, turn it around. We're not getting this house. Instead, somebody bought it for 20, 25,000 over asking, and they may or may not sit on it for a year. I mean, think about that, Mike. Am I going too fast? Am I making sense? No, it's it's crazy. We we talk about this all the time too. I just don't understand when the these homes get purchased and then they sit for a year. I don't know if there's something behind the scenes that we don't know about, but you know, the taxes alone on a property like that are going to cost you thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened? Okay. Well, here's another thing to show you, show you how inefficient it is. They don't pay the taxes, right? So they not only pay, not paying the loan, but they're not paying the taxes. So the taxes now are piling up. They haven't done any work to the house. So now the house looks worse than it did a year ago. So the debt load now on the house is going to be is going to prevent it from being sold at a fair marketplace to somebody who whose intent is to fix it up and turn it around. Think about that because of now now the county is blocking this being sold because they want to they want a tax lien on the property. Am I am I making sense to all you people out there, Mike Ferrante? <laughs> yeah, and and Uncle Sam Please. gets paid first. Those taxes get paid first, just like any federal liens, state tax liens, uh, county uh, property tax liens. Those all get paid first. Yeah. Now, if you've got a city, if you've got a city that's got people driving around, looking at these houses, looking at the houses I showed you, Will, then their job is to get these people off the snide and fixing them up so that the tax bill doesn't keep going up and the house doesn't doesn't begin its deterioration so now it's more expensive to rehab that should be their job is to is to make sure that this house is on a conveyor belt so i told you this was going to be gold mike about this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Will, what's your thoughts? You're the, you're the new guy on the block here. As far as just the process in general, I think it's very valuable what you're, you're proposing. I think it's something that's all the cities should take in a lot more serious, um, especially with everything that's gone on recently. But the last thing we need to do is hurt our economy by letting homes just deteriorate and encourage you know bad activity and poor maintenance of properties, especially in an area like that as significant as Forest Hills is, like you mentioned in your other podcast. Um, you know, there's definitely tools and resources I feel like the government has in their in their hands. It's just a matter of how well they can help to facilitate that administrative process to make it happen versus taking years. Yeah. This is just kind of ridiculous from one bank to the next. Um, 
which I'm very excited about working with you on that. I've been doing some research on that, some receivership nuisance abatement. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going to dedicate another podcast coming up. Uh, hopefully if Tony Kuda is available, somebody from the city of Cleveland Heights and you investors out there that are looking to buy right now, it's obvious, Mike, in, in talking about this, that right now the whole process of buying these houses is inefficient. If there is no, uh, con- there is no hook somewhere in the buyer's contract that they have to have this house fixed up within a set period of time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the, the violation lists that are associated with the property, that's one way that they do it. But, you know, as we know, how much do they enforce that? You know, so the building department puts together a violation list. They tell you you've got 60, 90, 120 days to fix the violations. And then technically, if you don't, the city could bring you into housing court and start fining you. And I've actually seen the city of Cleveland doing this a little bit, Mike. Uh, They're assessing huge, ridiculous uh, fines and liens onto properties. And that starts getting the attention of homeowners. Not, Not that Cleveland is doing it better than Cleveland Heights, for example, but at least they're doing something. I think they, the city should have the ability to fast track these type of houses so that they don't have to throw them into housing court. Because this, this is another problem I know in Cleveland Heights with the housing court. They, they have a bias against investors and landlords. That's, that's been the dirty little secret for decades. It's almost like uh, they, you know, they, they just don't like these investment companies coming in taking over these houses, what are they doing, these big, bad capitalists, whatever. And so what happens is if it goes to housing court, I, I've heard that there are cases there. Uh, these people keep going to housing court. They've been like that for five, six, seven years. I think what has to be done, if somebody investor is going to buy the house and if they don't get it done in a couple of months or something realistic time, say 90 days, at least get the outside fixed up, cleaned up, driveway, you know, whatever, whatever. The city comes in and just does it and then slaps them with the bill. Yeah, they have the authority to do that. You you know, speaking of housing court and cities and so forth, Mike, I'm not going to say any names here because I don't want to cross a line, but I don't know if you saw there, you know, of course, Cleveland has a new mayor, Mayor uh, Bibb. Bibb, And you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does, what changes he makes. But one of the things he did right out of the gate was talk about how investors and management companies are to blame for some of the strife that's happening in Cleveland proper. Now, whether you agree with that or not, it was just kind of an interesting dialogue that took place between one of the top property managers in our area and the mayor, they were actually, they were doing battle via Twitter, you know, it reminded me of our national news uh, over the last couple of years, but they were going back and forth with each other. And, you know, essentially this property manager was giving them a big F you saying, you know, who are you and, and why are you, you know, taking it out on me? What my takeaway from it was regardless of who you agree with, you know, I just thought it was fascinating that a property manager who has to go in front of housing court and has to deal with inspectors and, and is basically at the whim of these entities that have power over you was picking a fight. <laughs> you know, don't you want your property manager 
to advocate on your behalf, you know, someone, you know, like you guys do, you always talk about the relationships that you have with the cities. They know you and they know your work. And when they say, oh, Riley Painting and Contract is doing it. Well, you know what? Just send me a picture of the completed work and you're good to go. How many times does that happen to you and your guys, Mike? You're not right. out there picking yeah. fights with the cities. Yeah. But on the other hand, I, you know what? I, I'm hopeful about uh, Mayor Bibb. Um, he seems like a sharp young guy. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, oh, come on, give me a break. Really? You're on the property managers. Look at we all know the dirty little secret is there are a lot of people that hop from rental to rental. They destroy the property. They don't pay their rent. Then when they leave or they have to be evicted after three or mo three months, they just sit there. I mean, literally squatting like gypsies. Um, and, uh, good luck for the poor. And I want to say for a lot of these people, like our California people, these are people who are just buying their first house. I mean, we're not talking about big mega companies like Roofstock or something like that. We're talking about people that want to invest in real estate. And they heard that Cleveland is a good place to invest their money. And we're talking single people, retirees, buying one property. And, and so I think what the property managers is upset with, with uh, Mayor Bibb is, hey, go after some of the, some of the uh, hillbillies and you know, grifters that are out there that are not taking care of their own place they live in. There's garbage out there. You know, there's abandoned cars in the back. You know, they're not doing it. They're not washing the windows or cutting the grass or picking up the trash. Hey, make this an equal opportunity denunciation, okay? And that's, I think, probably where the prop property manager uh, guy is, or person is coming from. Mike, back to you. Yeah. So, you know, and, and where part of this was coming from is the sheer numbers of properties in Cleveland proper that were being purchased by companies, investors, uh, you know, and, and I think that it's sort of like the one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. You know, sure, uh, you've got a handful of investors, a handful of property managers who are contributing to a bigger problem that Cleveland has as far as maintenance and, you know, having good, suitable housing for people. Uh, but on the flip side of that, there's a lot of good owners out there. There's a lot of good managers out there. And I, and I think, uh, you know, th this whole thing is just kind of nonsense, but you're right, Mike, you can't just point at the investors and the managers and say, they're the problem because there's uh, absolutely plenty of blame to go around. Like, like you said, all the people who aren't maintaining their properties that aren't investors. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So, Look, we have a structural problem in Cleveland Heights, where I live. It's the housing uh, department is understaffed um, up until now with, uh, with the, the mayor coming in. Up until now, the city of Cleveland Heights has not had maintaining the housing stock on their top 10. It's not even, it, it, it's, it's not even in the focus of their, their master plan. So the housing court, the building department's understaffed. The council is not looking at that as a key ingredient into the uh, rejuvenation of Cleveland Heights. So we've been just sort of puttering along, going around in circles. When you have houses that sit there for years, vacant, falling apart, and nobody's doing anything, that sends a message to the whole community that you don't give a shit about maintaining the housing stock. It has nothing to do with 
investors, outside investors, or property managers, landlords, et cetera. It's a lack of priority. And, and that is why, wrapping this all up in a nice bow, this property that we didn't get, I'm really, I'm not teed off. Here's the irony, Mike and Will and people listening. I own two properties next to this house. So to me, if this house is worth way more than I bid on it, fixed up, hey, good for me. Right, Mike? Yeah, sure. Good for me. So why am I upset? Is because I don't want to see this roadshow again where somebody buys the house and it sits there for another six months, lowering my property values. Okay? Exactly. We put a bid in, Will. We... uh, we were over asking. We got outbid. Now the question is, whoever bought this, are they actually going to fix it up within a reasonable length of time? If they, if they are, I got no problem losing out to them. Good for them. Kudos to them. But if I got to look at this six months later, no action, lender bought it, holding out, city not doing anything about pushing them to get it fixed up that, you know, we're going to revisit this, you know, in the, in the late summer and we'll see where we are. Okay, guys. Yeah. Well, a squeaky wheel gets the grease, Mike, and I know you know how to squeak. So uh, if you, if you say nothing about it, then there, the city isn't going to jump on anything. And sometimes even if you do, they don't really put the screws to people. But if you're in a position like that, you've got to complain, Com- complain to your building department, to your council person, whoever, anyone who will listen and try to get some action on your, to use a Mike Rileyism, your zombie house that's bringing down your value. Right. And, and, you know, the point is, is, and final, final thought on, on all of this is we've talked about people knowing their numbers, right? Where mm-hmm. you set up your main goal. Okay. Everybody out there investing in property in Cleveland, at the end of the day, you better know if you're making money or not. Right? Okay. Now, if I'm, in, if I'm in front of council and talking to the city council, it's real simple. Are these houses getting addressed? Yes or no? Yes or no? It's binary. I don't want to hear about a committee. I don't want to hear about uh, we're studying this. I don't want to hear about what well, we've been working on this. No. No, yes or no. That's that's the issue. That's how you, in life, in a lot of things, that's how you get things done. That's how you get things done. You set a goal and you ask yourself, Cleveland Browns, am I in the Super Bowl? Yes or no? If not, why? What do we have to do? So anyways, guys, thanks for this impromptu uh, meeting. This has been educational. I hope it has for everybody else out there. And uh, we'll do this later. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Until next time. All right, Will. Get a better mic. All right. Okay. Okay. Talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Cleveland Real Estate Investor Podcast with Mike Riley. Please add our show or follow us on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. Leave a like or comment on the video. All engagement is appreciated. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well for video content coming soon. For any Cleveland listeners or Cleveland Browns fans, you can check out our other podcast, Cleveland Browns Anonymous, for our weekly group therapy session. This is also on all the same platforms as the Cleveland Real Estate Investor.